0: Welcome to another episode of Queering Daisy. This is your host, Priya. This week, I had the pleasure of talking to Aruna Rao, who is the mother of a queer young adult and the founder of an organization called Daisy Rainbow Parents and Allies. The organization was born out of the need that Aruna saw for community support among South Asian parents who have LGBTQI children. And I hope that this episode and this conversation is something that will resonate with both you and maybe your parents and families as well. It was definitely enlightening for me to realize what it was like to have a community, both for us in the LGBTQI community, but also for our parents and families. Without much further ado, here's Aruna Rao.
1: Hey, Kriya, how are you doing? Good, good. How, how's everything? It's good, it's good
2: so far, you know. And how are you? How's everything going with you?
1: Things are good. Things are good. Um, you know, just trying to start this new project. Um and so it's exciting. It's an exciting time and I thank you for um, agreeing to like be on it.
2: Absolutely. No, it sounds fabulous. I mean, it's such a such a needed thing, and I'm so glad that you're doing it. Yeah, thank you.
1: And I mean, I think it, you're right. I mean, it's a needed thing. I think my vessel of doing this now is, you know, we've some people have written about our stories, but I think kind of hearing stories and hearing from people in the community is a good way to kind of get those stories out there.
2: Absolutely. I'm still trying to hit on a way that my generation, you know, the, the 40s, 50s immigrant, what will they listen to and what will they hear? And that's still, you know, I'd love to get some input from you on what you think might be good outreach strategies for, for that group.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we can we can just like, jump right in. I mean, I think what's so important about what you're doing is it's, it's accessing a group of people that haven't really had a space before. And something I've learned from being in the community for this many years is that, Really, it's yeah, the conversations matter, and of course, you know, meeting people and all that. But holding the space and having the space is a huge thing. So I think it's so great that you know, Daisy Plea Flag now exists. You know, at my time when I came out, like you know, six, seven years ago, this this was so far beyond anything I could imagine. So, what has it been like for you? How did you bring this into fruition?
2: So, you know, for me, I think this was born out of my own personal need. You know, it it was really lonely for me, you know, when my daughter came out to me. And even though I thought of myself as someone who was well-equipped to handle, you know, my my child coming out, it was still very, very isolating. And so when I started looking around for support and I realized all the support that was available was really not for People of my ethnicity or race, or you know, frankly, there was almost nothing for for brown people. And when I did go to P flag spaces, which were very welcoming and you know supportive, I still found that again I felt like I was the token immigrant in that space. And so it was a little bit like you know, like where is it? Because I knew there were parents who were supportive. It wasn't that there wasn't, you know, there were nobody out out there like me, but I just couldn't find them that easily. And, you know, and then the more I started exploring, the more I realized that, you know, there were plenty of, especially see adults in the community, like around the country and of course outside the country who had very supportive families. It's just that nobody had really kind of organized into a group. And the other need that I saw, um, which, you know, based on my own experience as well as of, you know, a lot of young people that I meet, is that it's really... um You know, parents who are not on board and families who are not on board with their child's, you know, gender identity or sexual orientation, they need support. So it's one thing if you are willing to sort of, you know, understand and and work with your child to, to kind of try and support them. It's another thing if you're incredibly frightened and angry and really feel that you're the only person in the world who's going through this. So I felt that if we, um, as a group, became more visible in the community, that even those, you know, the parents who are really kind of frightened by this and really, you know, too scared to even sort of take the first step might potentially feel more confident about maybe like, you know, asking about this and, you know, trying to figure out how they can at least learn a little bit more other than just, you know, cutting it off saying, no, this is not acceptable. This is not something that busy people do.
1: I mean, that's such a wide range to work with, right? Like, what is your idea of how you can both reach the people that want to stay hidden or maybe are harder to reach, and then also, you know, connect with the people that are supportive and maybe do want to get out there and be visible? Like, that's such a wide range. How do you approach them?
2: Right, right. Yeah, well, you know, the, the group of people who are already supportive is much easier to access, obviously. And that really has been... And one of the things I'm really thankful for is that there is such an active... Uh, South Asian queer community in, in the U.S. Um, you know, anywhere I've gone, you know, Chicago, uh, California, you know, right here in New York City, there is a very active LGBTQ South Asian presence. And this is, you know, people like yourself, you know, young adults and, and people who have been out for some time, you know, people who have really kind of taken huge strides themselves to create a community space. Um, and so many of their families are supportive. So those family members have been introduced to me. So that's a much easier way to kind of, you know, get people in who are already on board and would like to contribute and just haven't gotten around to organizing yet. And another way that I've also been referred to people is through, uh, there's an API Rainbow Parents community that uh, has started both in the flag of New York City as well as in Southern California. And they have been uh, very, very active in reaching out to the South Asian community. And so they in turn sent South Asian parents my way. So that's been a pretty easy group to form. I'm just surprised at how many of us are out there, you know, uh, and, and are willing to organize. And that's been a really a wonderful experience. The other side of the coin, which is reaching families that are not currently supportive or maybe too frightened has been much, much harder. I mean, as you can guess, it's not that easy to, um, to reach out to those groups. So one of the things I've been doing, especially in New Jersey where I live, is reaching out to the high school and college communities. And seeing if, for instance, you know, we recently, uh, a couple of us made a presentation at the New Jersey Gender and Sexuality Alliance State Conference. Uh, So we reached out essentially to students and said, you know, we are willing to speak with your families if if you're willing to put us in touch with them. And through that, you know, we started getting in like a trickle of referrals of a couple of people who are sort of trying to understand what this is about and are too frightened to sort of be out in, in public and talk about it, but are willing to talk one-on-one. And one of the things that makes a huge difference, which I think, you know, my generation of immigrants really finds this very important, is that if you can relate to the person, to language, region, you know, to a Tamilian speaking to another Tamilian person, so that connection, that sort of immediate sort of affinity makes a difference to parents. And that's one of the things I've really been trying to do. Like, you know, pair up Gujarati families, pair up, uh, you know, Kanadega families. So I think that is slowly sort of becoming a, a way to try and give direct one-on-one support to someone who's still looking for answers.
1: Yeah, definitely. Actually, that was one of my questions is how do you deal with the, the cultural and the language barriers because the, the South Asian community is so large. And especially mm-hmm. when you're an immigrant, you might, you might lose language, you might only have your home language and not English. So that has been part of the outreach and the education.
2: Absolutely. And that, that's, again, become like it's been an informal network. You know, when I talk to, for instance, someone in Seattle and, um, you know, there's like maybe a Tamilian or a Malayali family, family there. And once they agree that, you know, they are interested in being one-on-one support, so I have just kind of, you know, get down their details. And then when I'm referred again to another family who might need the same language, I do make that connection and sometimes it works out really well in the sense that, you know, people actually talk to each other and it sort of, it creates some level of support. Sometimes actually, you know, it's sort of like a, I guess it was psychology here, but sometimes people don't want to talk to anybody from their region or of their, you know, language group yeah. because then, you know, who could they know and who could they tell and because our communities are still pretty small and they don't really want the word to get around.
1: That's an interesting kind of caveat to that. But I wonder, you know, with the families that you've spoken to thus far, what do you think has helped them in their journeys, either in becoming visible or just supporting, you know, their children and being able to network with people? What has been something you've seen overall that has made it easier maybe for you to bring parents together, but also a commonality among parents, even for yourself personally, to connect with these? What do you think has been something that
2: has connected all of you,
1: despite language, despite culture?
2: I think for all of us, it's just about, we just have this, you know, obviously it's love for our children. You know, we love our children regardless of, it. it's it's an unconditional love. It's about, you know, sort of really like wanting your child to have this safe world to live in. And I think the fear and the, the kind of anger also comes out of that sense of, you, you don't want this for your child. You don't want like something bad to happen to your child. So even people are coming at it from the other angle of like, you know, I don't accept this. It's also about fear. So, I think something that sadly unites all of us is kind of like what is going to happen to our child, whether, you know, they're a teen or a, a young adult or, an, you know, somebody even in their 30s or 40s. It was always about fear, you know, like what is the world going to be like for our child? Because we know that the world is going to be hostile. So, I think this banding together makes us feel, first of all, understood and second of all, safer. Because if you're a group, as opposed to an individual struggling with these issues, it just creates a better world for us to be able to create this network and watch out for each other, watch out for our children. It's you know, the same reason that any community comes together. And for me personally, it's been really, really satisfying to sort of end that isolation, you know, that in- initial sense of loneliness that I had, and just feel like I'm part of a group. So that, that really has made all the difference to me personally and, you know, how I, I kind of came on my journey of acceptance.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that fear and that isolation I think is so relatable. I wonder, you know, gender and sexuality being so taboo in the South Asian community as it is, but, you know, especially when it comes to our kids, what do you think is the, is a way for that both, you know, people that identify as LGBTQ or, you know, the parents that might listen to this to try to break that stigma like i figure that is the hardest part even even connecting to other parents or meeting other parents yeah definitely helpful and amazing to see them visible but how do you break that taboo is it is it piece by piece is it you know because it's going to be the strongest with the people you can't even reach and i think that's something that i feel just yeah. being part of the community talking about it with people that aren't you know hey this is something that does happen in the south asian community there are people like us and we want to be seen and we want to be heard. How do you kind of begin to break that for for the older generation or for the you know that immigrant generation that is even more that it's even more taboo for them?
2: right. and that if I had answer to that, I would be very, very lucky <laughs> and And to me, it's really been the piece by piece approach, you know so if if I'm there and there's someone else like me there, so then that's the two of us, right. And one of the things that I think is really crucial here is, you know, many times we kind of like live in this echo chamber where we are talking to people who are similarly liberal. So one of the things that is on my wish list, and I'm really like looking for the time and the capacity to organize this, is to see the kind of panel that I guess, um, you know, I remember uh, taking to the SALT conference back in April last year taking a panel of people with lived experience of either being LGBTQI or, you know, being family members and taking it into spaces like temples and mosques and gurdwaras, and sort of, you know, going where the community is. So I think that really will make a difference. If we go into our faith-based spaces and take this message, I think that will really sort of create a lot of more linkages and a way to sort of like, you know, get people to say, okay, this is us, just like, you know, people who look slightly different or speak slightly different are still part of our community, so are queer people part of our community. So that really, I think, would be the key, making that link between, you know, religious spaces and community spaces that are really not usually open to this. You know, for instance, there are so many... Organizations that are international in scope that are really based around, like, for instance, language or region. You know, there's Gujarati organizations, Karnadega organizations, and they have these massive events uh, where there is a focus sometimes on things like health, for instance. So why not a focus on the LGBTQI experience? So that's really my dream to see if I can get into these community organizations. And since, you know, I mean, look, as I build this group slowly, We do have representatives from just about everywhere, like every region in South Asia. So being able to take that on the road, I think, would be a really wonderful way to bring that message to the grassroots.
1: That's amazing to hear that you have people from so many communities. I think just hearing that itself is something that feels validating and affirmative to know that communities across the South Asian network are are coming together and, and have parents that want to be visible, I think like that is a struggle, like you said, is is reaching the people that may know or may be supportive, but also don't want to talk about it. But I also wonder, what is your experience for South Asian parents? I mean, family acceptance is so general and so vague as a term. What do you think that, like the core of it, if you had to be like, this is something that we have to either help people understand or help people break down, like how can families even approach that, or how? What has helped for the families that you have been in touch with to be able to start that process of acceptance? Is there, is there any
2: kind of, I don't know, a step, a, p- a process? Right, right. Yeah, you know what? So I think my process really was about going back to how I was raised, and so a lot of like self-examination. You know, when we go back, so basically our instinctive reaction is negative, right? So when, you know, basically, well, I I shouldn't say that, maybe there are some parents who don't have an instinctive reaction like that. But most times when that, like, you know, that thing comes, when a child comes out and says, like, this is who I am, your immediate reaction is, is either fear or, you know, sadly enough, sometimes repulsion and disgust. And so when we, when I kind of like started looking back at, you know, how I was raised and what I was told about, you know, this is sexuality, this is gender, And then kind of trying to bring it up to where I am now and what my child is saying to me, I think that process of like examining my own roots and my own understanding really made a difference to me. So it's kind of like almost like, you know, you're in this dark room and you're like kind of, you know, assuming that everything around you is a certain way. And if somebody flips on the switch and you kind of like suddenly see very clearly that, you know, this has always been around. You just haven't noticed it. So I think that process is very much an internal process. I mean, you can be led to it in the sense that, you know, I mean, people will send you links and people will, like, talk to you about this and give you literature to read. But I think it's it's not something that happens overnight. It's something that you have to look at based on how you were raised, what your thoughts were about fairness when you were, you know, growing up, and then bring it up to now. And, uh, you know, like we have learned to accept so many different kinds of things, right? I mean, as immigrants, when we come here, we have these very kind of like, you know, set ideas about what life should be about. And then you come here and you're kind of, your mind expands because you realize that there are other ways of being. So this is just one more in that process of expansion.
1: In talking about that, I wonder, if is there a defining moment that you can recall in in your journey thus far of of being able to touch base and, and connect it to, to immigrants like yourself.
2: Absolutely. You know, for me, one of my biggest revelations was I met the organizer for API Rainbow Parents in Pete Blagg of New York City, Clara, and she was she's one of those people who just kind of like, you know, just boom, she like opens up all these possibilities for you. And meeting her and just sort of like hearing from her just made a profound difference in my understanding of what it means, you know, to be API and LGBTQI in this country. And one of the things that I think really has changed a lot for me. So perhaps since this is possibly true for most people, it's a little bit easier to understand sexual orientation because you, I mean, it's about sexuality. And so you're kind of able to understand it, even if you don't agree or, you know, are not particularly like thrilled about that here, but it's so much harder to understand gender. And how our perceptions of gender are, like, so, you know, sort of set by how we were raised and and what gender actually means. And I think that really is is a learning process for me still. Like, I'm still trying to kind of, you know, grasp all the, the various ways that gender can be expressed. And, you know, essentially trying to, like, see how my mind can kind of grasp all of these things which I hadn't really, like, learned. You know, I hadn't been exposed to until I was in my late 40s, basically
1: you know, as you say that, I think of, you know, I, I was raised Hindu, and my mom knows the scriptures almost by heart, it seems like at times. I wonder, you know, if, for certain parents, if they're Hindu, if they identify as Hindu, some kind of like actual scriptures or things like that, where gender was fluid or was portrayed as such. You know, I wonder for some parents if something super logical like that, where, you know, this is part of our mythology. Maybe that'll help us understand it. I wonder if that makes a difference for some parents, too.
2: Yeah, you know, I kind of wonder about that myself. So, you know, I was raised Hindu, and I was, you know, most most of what I learned anyway came from um, Amar Chitra and, you know, comic books. And when I look at that, and my mother was always very observant, and that's where I learned, you know, whatever I, I did learn about basic Hinduism. But when I, when I think back to some of those stories that I was raised on, and there's such um, an ease about, you know, gender. Like, for instance, you know, that that story about Vishnu becoming Mohini and sort of, you know, this, like, easy kind of, like, transition that happens in these stories and there is no associations that are negative around that. And then, of course, there's, you know, the various stories from the Mahabharata work, like, again, gender uh, and sometimes even sexuality is kind of, like, you know, treated as just like in a very matter-of-fact way. I kind of, like, I don't know, I mean, to me, like, it sort of seems like that's always held as separate from your personal experience. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mythology is mythology, but your personal experiences And so, for instance, when I think about my own personal experience as a child, right, so I was raised on those stories, but what I did see that was different around me, for instance, when you see um, people from the hijra community, right, in India, and you, as a child, certainly mm-hmm. notice. The kind of, sort of, you know, there's there's many times there's so much, like, negative associations with that community. And so that's what you see in your immediate circles. And you think, like, oh, okay, so that's not right. And that's what you notice more than you notice, you know, about mythological stories. So um I'm reading, actually, right now, this book by Devdas Patnaik which is got chikundi and other tales that don't tell you and it's really a collection of basically stories from Hindu mythology that are about queerness and it's quite a revelation because when i'm reading some of these things i'm thinking yes of course you know these are things that i know very well and i never really like understood them in the context of this is the queer experience
1: so maybe that being something that connects for parents, or is something that is like, oh wait, just reframing. Maybe something that is already known or already learned, and being able to say, hey, this is, you know, this is something relatable, or something that that like in language they can understand, or in a concept that that like you said, accessing, you know, their own learned histories of their childhoods and kind of repurposing that.
2: Absolutely, and I, I think that really should be done you know, sort of even, like, to the extent of maybe, like, sort of writing, like, more children's stories that kind of emphasize this aspect of clearness in mythology. I think that really would be a, a great way to sort of just change perspectives right from the beginning.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I know, I mean, I asked you personally for advice as well, and I know everyone's journey is different. But if you could, in a nutshell, give a few words to either people that might be questioning, you know, reaching out to their families or or family members that are listening that don't know how to, to, in response, reach out to their kids. What is something just generally that you would say, besides, of course, to look you up and and connect with you? If you could offer some words of, of strength or advice, what would they be?
2: For parents, I would say, you know, just many times, you know, we have this immediate response that's really related to how we are feeling, right? It's this immediate, like, kind of visceral reaction of and this is what I feel and this is what I think and I know I love you, but I really have to say that I think this is really not right. You know, stop. Stop there. Because when you're talking to your child, things can't be unsaid. So I would say before you respond, just give yourself time because that immediate response can color, you know, all the things that happen in that relationship from then on. So even though it may be difficult for you to hear, I think the first thing is to just like listen. Listen and then kind of process and then come out and speak to your child, especially if it's an adult child, you know, that immediate reaction is not going to be helpful. So that would be one piece of advice definitely to the parent. And, you know, very similarly to the child, you know, because you're kind of approaching your parent in this you know, you're sort of full of fear and you're longing for acceptance and don't let that immediate reaction kind of drive you away. Because I think families have, you know, especially our DC families, this such love that I think we can kind of go beyond that, that initial sort of fear and sort of, you know, this this is awful, I can't handle this to place of of, you know, mutual sort of understanding. So I would just say the main thing is just both of you don't don't make that immediate reaction the basis of the rest of your relationship and see where you can go from there and because it's possible everything takes time it's possible to get to a place where you both understand each other
1: yeah definitely i mean i think that's so well said I have one last question for you. You professionally work in mental health as well. I wonder, you know, in the work you're doing for like the ACP flag and also the mental health outreach and, and advocacy. Has there been kind of an overlap for you? Have you seen any kind of either needs of the, of the similar kind in the same kind of communities or access or being able to talk about those things? Do you think that there's a connection to mental health within family acceptance for Daisy LGBTQ people?
2: are definitely a connection. And sadly enough, this is something that, you know, I think we see too often in mental health. You know, this this whole overwhelming social rejection, family rejection, all these rejections take a toll on the person and their ability to kind of navigate the world. So I think there are far too many people who are dealing with depression and like, you know, a real inability to function well in their life because of the social and family rejection and there's a very direct link there i see that all the time and it's really you know i really wish i didn't see it and i think if the world changed for queer people the incidence of mental health issues and risks that occur would definitely decline if people are received with love and acceptance you know most of these these kind of mental health issues would not occur so i that's one of actually one of the first things i say to many parents are you willing to put your child at risk i mean you realize the impact of rejection, especially on a younger person? And, you know, just think about that before you make that that kind of, you know, statement that, that you think you want to make. So, yeah, mental health is a big issue for the LGBTQI community. It continues to be not just for our desi community, but, you know, in general. It needs to be addressed. And I think basically trying to remove social rejection will have a big impact on that.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, uh, having faced mental health issues myself in my own journey, I also, I think, have gotten to a place where I realize that my parents would probably also go through that, like, in their journey of acceptance. You know, you mentioned in the beginning your own personal feelings of isolation and loneliness. And yeah. I'm starting to get to that point where I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, it's not just us that are yeah. part of the community they're going through. Our parents, in finding community and finding other parents that they can talk to, can ease some of their own mental health woes as well.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I've heard, which is, you know, really kind of reflects this, is that I remember a parent telling me that if they have the two children, you know, one is straight and one is queer, the extended family and friends will always ask about the straight one, and the queer one is invisible. So there is no, like, question of, like, asking about them, you know, what's happening with them or their relationships. And so this parent said to me, like, you know, I feel like I'm being erased or my child is being erased because they all know that my child exists, but they're not asking about them. And I think that sense of, you know, feeling like you are losing, you know, your connection to your child plus your connection to your social group is very, very isolating for parents and families. And definitely, you know, there's there's depression on the other side, too, there's, you know, families who are dealing with that and trying to come to terms with their child. I mean, a sexuality or gender identity.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think to come back to your point in the beginning, I've been thinking about as we've chatted, you know, outreach for people of my parents' generation, you know, now connecting with them in a different way than I did when I came out many years ago. I don't know if there's one easy answer to that, but I think that multi-pronged approach, like you're saying, in community spaces, you know, audio, visual, written word, performances, things like that, like the more exposure we can get, I think the better. You know, people like my parents might, you know, my dad reads a newspaper every day, you know, he might see something in the newspaper or something on like an Indian TV show where they do, you know, they mention a queer person or a trans person. But I think there's no easy answer. I think for our generation, you know, it's always a go-to of like social media and things like that. I think for a different generation, it's kind of all of the above. I mean, the more the better. And I think Above all is something you're already doing, which is in person and by phone, you know, hearing each other's voice and and the language and being able to connect in that way.
2: Absolutely. I think all of these things will make a difference. And and just, you know, getting to a critical mass, I mean, having more parents on board, having more siblings on board, you know, who all sort of are are sort of interested in, in making this a better place for their loved one. I think that's really important.
1: Yeah, definitely. And can you talk briefly about 2018, what might be upcoming, if people want to connect with you or see you? Are there any events upcoming that that they can connect with?
2: Yeah, actually, one of the things that I'm going to be focusing on, I'm actually taking an extended trip to India in a little while, and I've actually connected with parent groups in India. And so one of the things I'm looking to do is bring in more of, you know, international groups. And we are planning, hopefully... A parents convening in the summer, in July, and so we're hoping to get as many of the parent advocates together as possible and start doing speaker training, so that we can actually put this, you know, the whole panels that go out into the community in action. So that's definitely going to be part of our plan for this year. And in addition, of course, we are trying to keep the monthly phone support groups going, which really make a big difference because you know, when people call in, they don't necessarily need to identify themselves. They don't need to speak if they don't want to. They can just listen in. And that's like a good way to get into this understanding of, you know, what what it means to be LGBTQI and what are the resources and what do you need to understand about your child. So, those are all, you know, things that we definitely plan to do.
1: And just how to connect. I know you're on all the, the social media, and, but if you can just mention your social media and your email and any contact to be able to get in touch with you.
2: Sure. We have a an email, dcrainbowparents at gmail dot com. We have a Facebook page, also they see Rainbow Parents and allies. We have a WhatsApp group, also they see Rainbow Parents and allies. So we're trying to like find different ways to stay connected. But you know, email, WhatsApp, Facebook. There's a Facebook group if you'd like to join us. So all of these are are ways to try and connect.
1: Great. That's it for my questions. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention that we didn't get to talk about?
2: Well, I think, you know, you did cover pretty much everything that I wanted to say, but I just wanted to kind of underline the fact that, you know, I'm doing this because of how much I love my child. And I know this definitely is something that so many other parents and families can relate to. I think just the bottom line is coming from a place of love, even if you don't understand and, you know, putting in the effort to keep that love uppermost as opposed to all the other things that kind of crowd around and prevent you from understanding. I think that's the most important thing for me.
1: Absolutely. And expressing it in their own ways, I think my journey with my own parents and seeing parents in the community has been, you know, we're not white families that might be like, I love you and hug each other. But to understand the expressions of love for both the children and the parents, I think is something that has softened me in this journey to see like hate in their own ways, being able to harness that love like you're saying for our child. And and then expressing it in their own ways, and knowing that the child, hey, can can pick up on that, or this is what they need, they need me to say it, or they need me to show it in a certain way, then that is an extension of that love. Absolutely, absolutely.
2: You put it in very eloquently there. <laughs> thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Erna, for coming on and telling us about um, Desi flag. I'm so glad that you're doing what you're doing. There are no words to to be able to thank you for that. <laughs>
2: No, no. Thank you so much for you know, giving our group this visibility. And I really hope that more people join us after listening to this. Yeah,
1: I hope so too. And hopefully uh, this will help some people that need to hear our stories.
2: I think it will. And thanks so much for, for reaching out and doing this.
0: Yeah, thank you, Irina. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Queering Daisy. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to rate and subscribe on iTunes to help us spread the word and make sure you get the latest episodes right to your phone every Wednesday. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, or know someone who should be featured on Queering Daisy, please drop us an email. Thanks again for listening.